0: All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucknicks? What's happening? I am Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. It's been okay the last few days. I don't know how up to speed those of you tuning in are with the where i'm at but uh i'm within the grief tunnel it's coming up on two months on saturday uh since um lynn shelton passed away and it's something is changing how are you guys you know i look i'm not gonna make a life out of grief but uh it seems you know i seem to be you know, in it and monitoring it and and it, feeling the feelings. But I don't want to neglect you guys. I don't want to forget to, to tell you that on the show today, Helen Mirren is here, Oscar, Emmy, BAFTA, and Tony Award-winning actress, the amazing Helen Mirren, the stunning and uh, profoundly talented Helen Mirren. She's on this HBO uh, thing, this Catherine the Great limited series but she's been in a lot of stuff and i i actually watched her i was kind of going through her stuff and and i realized she was in an old movie that i saw when it came out at the art house in albuquerque new mexico it was called long good friday it was a a relatively contemporary i guess it was a probably the early 80s modern english gangster movie with bob hoskins and she's the female lead and she's uh great but hoskins is just to work with that guy. Just, what an animal, man. Just, you know, fierce, fucking seething presence. There aren't that many seething presences. But I was lucky. I was fortunate. It was on the Criterion channel, which I watch. And uh, I'm going to watch uh, Lola. And that completes the trilogy of uh, whatever that was. Veronica Voss, The Marriage of Maria Braun and Lola, the Fastbinder movies. I didn't know it was a trilogy. But uh, I would talk to my buddy Tracy Letts. Yeah, I'll drop a couple names. He's been very uh, nice to me during this time of sadness, talking you through it. He's experienced something similar in his life. It's been very helpful. I might give him a call tonight. Even staying in touch with the people. That's the hard t- the hard stuff. The hard part about the grieving is that you know I, I'm. I, it's the aloneness a bit. But like, you know, Tom Sharpling came over for dinner the other night and I've been hiking with my pal Al Madrigal going up the hill, talking about stuff, gossiping a little bit. Things get limited, you know, and everybody's not doing much. Uh, the the gossip and the you know what you what you can talk about. There's not a lot of fresh news around, and you know, in terms of the the macro, that can't uh that's never good anymore. It's fucking paralyzing out here. Just you know, managing the existential despair and terror of whatever the fuck is happening, and just watching people snap—it's—it's it's amazing the consistency of these belligerent, ignorant, dum dums who just refuse to take care of themselves or others by really simply you know wearing a, a dumb mask indoors so as they don't get sick and they don't get others sick with this thing escalating, but these people have really, some of these people have just really kind of, they're going to die on this hill, man. This was the freedom fight that they were going to fight this mass business. And when they lose it, I've watched three or four videos of women in supermarkets and target stores. And I just watched one of a guy. I've watched two of a guy. It is literally like watching and I don't have children, but I'm saying I'm thinking a three-year-old. A three- to five-year-old temper tantrum in the body of a grown person ranting and raving about, uh... It usually doesn't even make sense. It's just like something snaps in their head, and it has to do with a mask, and it represents a lot of things. Freedom, God, you know, uh, didn't intend it. It's just a confusion of, uh, conspiratorial garbage and, uh, right-wing talking points and some Christian uh, end times business just mashed up in sort of just kind of blurts. And usually there's a physical activity, uh, a childish physical activity, throwing groceries on the floor, taking things off a rack. Something snaps inside these people, and I think you really get to see who they are emotionally uh, at the core of whatever ideological insanity they've allowed their brain to be programmed with. And it's like three, three to five years old. And I would imagine intellectually, some of them close to that as well. And I don't want to be condescending, but just watch those things. This is not grown up behavior. It's just, it's like, you know, just stubborn children being told to do something healthy. And just like no, 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 very exciting. Um, I acknowledged oddly, but I I acknowledged the um, the passing of uh, Ronnie and Donnie uh, Galleon. I believe is uh, how you say their last name. Ronnie and Donnie Galleon of Beaver Creek, Ohio. The uh, the 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 oldest. The longest surviving conjoined twins. Um, I guess they died July 4th. I did not know it was that many days ago. And the reason I, I, I brought attention to it is it, it, they, I wouldn't say they traumatized me because I bought the ticket. Um, and I think expanded my brain, but blew a hole in it uh, for sure. When I was younger, some of you know this, I, I had a mild obsession with um, the circus or the sideshow, the midway sideshow. The, the circus freaks, as they were called, human anomalies, as Joel Peter Witkin would call them. But I couldn't understand my fascination with them. I had books about them. And I, and I think it was really just that they were terminally and, you know, tragically, some of them unique by birth. Some by choice, but the ones by birth were more fascinating to me. Yet they figured out a way to exist. And I think it spoke to something inside me that I felt so uncomfortable that going to the New Mexico State Fair, nervously buying a ticket to walk up a ramp to a viewing window in a trailer to look at Ronnie and Donnie sitting in there just watching television with their uh, their their flesh of conjoinment. And whatever organs they shared, exposed, that uh, they seemed comfortable. They were watching uh, television. They uh, they didn't seem to mind us looking at them, but they didn't put on a show. They were just there, and it was there was in, it was inspiring to me. I mean, it, outside of the fact that they were, I don't know what their life looked like, but in the trailer they seemed comfortable, and it was quite a a decent racket. They didn't have to do much. I mean, they were already conjoined. I mean, I guess they could do more, but they really didn't put a lot of effort into it. They were just sitting there. I think maybe one of them was having a snack, watching television. But the way they moved and the way they sort of... It it was just... I think it made made me feel better that there was a place in the world for everybody. And, you know, oddly, my place was on stage as well. I, I was not in a trailer. I don't have a conjoined twin... But uh, I have an, a, a, a sort of hidden emotional obesity that I stuff down. And I, in another note, I noticed that there was some a tweet that uh, my producer, Brendan McDonald, forwarded me that uh, it says, Japan's theme parks have banned screaming on roller coasters because it spreads coronavirus. And, quote, please scream inside your heart, unquote. And I'm familiar with that. I'd like, you want to know what screaming inside your heart sounds like? I'm doing it now. I'm doing it most of the time. I've mastered it. Did you hear it? No, right? It's happening. I'm screaming inside my heart right now. Every morning I get up and uh, I actually pray to nothing for a little peace of mind and a little guidance, pray to nothing. I pray to no one. I pray to, uh, to, uh, to humble myself and, and, and let go of the chains and pain in my heart to stop screaming in my heart for a minute or two and ground myself in something larger that remains unidentified not paying any lip service to any sort of higher power. It's just a a way of humbling and, and trying to uh, kind of like try to get a valve release valve on the sadness. And then I spend a couple minutes looking at a picture that of me and Lynn that she seemed to like. And then, uh, you know, I deal with my cats monkey hanging on, getting frail but i think you know i don't know he seems okay the best thing that can happen i think at this point is that uh he just dies in his sleep buster is fat getting fat i don't know if he's sick too he seems to run around like he's a kitten but he's fat and he gets himself out of breath and he beats up on fucking monkey but i seem to have some acceptance around that i'm no longer seeing you know monkey's Aging and near deathness as part of some kind of heartbreaking continuum that uh, I, I that has been, you know, imposed upon me that I've been drawn into by um, by a uh, death and uh, dying. Um, and again, I want to thank everybody for reaching out. Still, very happy that you're doing that. So, Helen Mirren. Was recently, as I said earlier, uh, in the HBO limited series Catherine the Great. You can watch that now, right now, on all HBO streaming and on demand platforms. She's also in the upcoming The One and Only Ivan, which will be on Disney Plus next month. And this is me and Helen Mirren coming right up. <laughs> I feel like as time goes on, I'm, because of texting, I'm losing pronouns. I no longer use a lot of words that I should use to communicate when I write.
1: I've kind of gone in the opposite direction. I think I've become very formal. Full stops, you know, capital letters.
0: On texting? Um,
1: yeah, totally. Oh, even more on texting. <laughs> on texting, I'm like very rigid.
0: Well, that's a, that. That must be a, a real a real pleasure for the people who receive your texts.
1: And it's probably boring. They go, "Oh God, you know, get on with it."
0: <laughs> yeah, don't text her. It'll be forever. You'll just get yeah, exactly a, an entire novel. Where are yes. you?
1: I mean, we're in Tahoe, actually.
0: Oh, oh, that's close. Brilliantly
1: and luckily, uh, yes. We we just finished building a house here. We just made the move from LA, literally six months before the lockdown happened oh so oh my god we got locked down in the most beautiful one of the most beautiful places you so know?
0: you're right on the lake kind of
1: not right on but i can see it from here you know oh that's pretty the trees
0: are you happy it's really
1: pretty and you know incredible air and and just endless entertainment by by wildlife you know
0: what do you see I've
1: uh, chipmunks oh, yeah. and golden mantles and squirrels and about 10 different kinds of birds. I saw a bear the other day. A really? great big black bear came by and stole all my bird food. Oh, really? So I, I went out and I said, Bad bear, bad, naughty bear, very naughty bear. And he sort of looked at me and lumbered off. It was a big black bear.
0: And that didn't scare him too quickly?
1: Well, funnily enough, you know, I was just reading a book, uh, a little pamphlet about, you know, wildlife up here. And they said, and they were saying what to do if you encounter a bear and it's looking aggressively at you and hunching its back and looking like it's about to charge. Yeah. And they said, you make yourself look as big as possible. If, If you can, grab a stick, make yourself look big. And then it literally said, and then shout... Bad bear, bad bear. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't wait to meet a bear and shout "bad bear" at it. It
0: seems like something that you might have done on stage before.
1: <laughs> well, there is a there is a um, uh, there is of course that famous stage. Um, instruction in Shakespeare, which is exit followed by a bear.
0: Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And there's
1: no, there's no enter a bear. He doesn't say enter a bear or the bear doesn't take part in the scene. It's just this stage direction exit pursued by a bear.
0: (laughs) Rapidly, that means. (laughs) Well, I mean, you've dealt with, like, it's funny because uh, I I feel like I've known you my whole life because I've seen you in things. But, like, for some reason, what I went back and watched the other night, speaking of, you know, acting with bears, is that I watched Long Good Friday.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. My dear little bear. Yes. And he, like. Bob.
0: Right. But that scene where you have to calm him down and tell him to get hold of himself. I mean that that was like trying to stop a bear.
1: Yes, it's <laughs> true. And and Bob Bob had this incredible ability to sort of look like he was a like a you know like a a, a, a kettle about to explode or yeah. something. You know, <laughs> you know something you put in the microwave and you should have put, <laughs> taken the lid off, but it's just about to completely explode.
0: Yeah, yeah. he
1: was. He was brilliant at at uh, communicating that sort of explosive thing.
0: It's sort of a yeah. it's sort of a, a a great movie. I had seen it when it came out when I was in high school, and I remember it being sort of a, a bleak movie. That ending is is a little rugged. Fabulous, yes. Right, Pierce
1: Brosnan, That's right, the Irish guy. Pierce. Yeah, no yes. no
0: lines. A young Pierce Brosnan.
1: Yeah, it, it was a it was an iconic movie at the time. You know, many many sort of British gangster movies followed on after yeah. that one. But that really was um, a, a trailblazer in the sense of the sort of British um, gangster movies. Brilliantly written uh, by Barry O'Keefe, who very sadly, very recently died. But it was an amazing piece of literature, and you know. What's amazing in that movie too, if you know London, is what we were, what was being proposed in that movie, which was the development of the East End, uh, the you know the the Thames the, down at the Thames um, uh, on the east side of London, is exactly what happened. You know, yeah. Canary Wharf was built, right, um, and all of those flats or. Millions of flats were built, apartments were built along uh, down there. That whole area has become completely developed exactly in the way that Longwood Friday was talking about. So the landscape that we shot um, on when we made that movie in in um, Eastern London has changed completely. So of course. If you go down there now, it's a completely different um, view.
0: Do you, uh, do you keep a place there? Are you connected to London? Yes.
1: Yes, and actually that's where I live, oh, really? actually down in, in Wapping, yes, yeah. just a few uh, just a few yards from where we shot a lot of Long Good Friday, actually.
0: What part of London did you grow up in?
1: Well, actually, I didn't grow up in London. I was born in London.
0: And then you So went. I'm
1: a Londoner, uh, but we moved out to a, a, a sort of dormitory town. I, I explain it to Americans by saying I grew up in Coney Island. but because that was the the kind of place South End on Sea is down on the Thames estuary, it's where the East Enders traditionally would go for a a fun weekend which consisted of um, uh, eating fish and chips or cockles or winkles, getting drunk, having a fight, throwing up and going home. That was sort of <laughs> there, slightly the tradition in the fifties. Was there
0: know, a roller coaster? Uh, Any roller coasters?
1: Oh, there was roller coasters. I used to work in the um uh the amusement park called the Kurzle. You did? I did, yes. I blagged. Did you know what blagging is?
0: No, you're gonna tell me though, I think.
1: Blagging is when you sort of shout something incomprehensible out to someone, uh-huh. just to get their attention and to bring them over to your store. You know, oh, we have a we and have then,
0: a we have a president that's doing that every day.
1: We do absolutely. He <laughs> he belongs in an amusement. Park, yeah, he's one of the greatest point.
0: greatest blaggers yes. of our lifetime.
1: Yes, yes, he has afforded a lot of laughs. laughs I have to say, <laughs> and yeah. a lot of um, fear. And yeah, horror, monster. A, a lot of, uh, quite. A, Quite a few laughs,
0: too. <laughs> so you used to work at what, uh, what amusements did you work at? What was the, uh, where did you?
1: um Well, I worked in a, on the dart stall when oh. I worked there. So um, my job was to get people over just to get their money to play darts and give them a horrible little
0: toy. Toy, yeah. you know, why did you end up there? Did, how, like, did, why did your family live there? Your parents? Just... Um,
1: well, you know, because my parents worked in the East End. Mm. Um, they they met in the East End. My dad actually used to many before he was a musician, but he couldn't make. Uh, it was very difficult to make money at that. And as a very young man, um, he worked for a Jewish tailor. And, and the East End was traditionally at that period was at the, where the Jewish community, the immigrant Jewish community, lived in the East End. So there was a wonderful old tradition of of Jewish delicatessens and Jewish businesses in the East End. And and one of those businesses was tailoring. And my dad actually worked for Jewish Tailor in the East End. And my mum worked for my mum was an East Ender. She came from West Ham.
0: And was uh were they mostly because your father immigrated as well, right?
1: My father was Russian, born in Russia. Were most yes, of the so Jews
0: were the Jews mostly Russian or Polish or did he?
1: The Jews were uh, yes, a lot of them were Eastern European Jewish people, of course, absolutely. You know, escaping from the the ghettos of Poland and.
0: So I wonder, did your father uh, speak? Yeah, did your father speak Yiddish or or no, Polish? No, my
1: father. Uh, um, my father wasn't Jewish. My father was a white well, Russian. But
0: he was working he for was him, a... so I thought maybe. But they he were... was yeah, that's
1: true. I I bet he picked up a few Jewish words. Yes, absolutely. <laughs>
0: But he spoke Russian, huh?
1: He spoke Russian, yes. Did yes, you speak Russian?
0: Language, yes.
1: No, sadly not. I think my father was very, um, he came at the age of two. And oh, okay. at that time, the revolution was so entrenched that there wasn't any possibility of ever going back. So um, he very much wanted to assimilate. So as soon as he could, he changed our name from Miranov, which was my fat, my original name. Uh, to Mirren, um and we were not brought up speaking Russian.
0: Your father, what what was his instrument?
1: Uh, the viola. Oh. He was a musician, yeah.
0: Was he good? Yes, he,
1: yes, he was. One of my f- uh, earliest memories. Uh, well, I don't know if he was good. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I think that he gave... It up because he realized he was never going to be a sort of, you know, star soloist. Yeah. He was always going to be in the orchestra sort of thing. And, and also, of course, the war, the Second World War intervened his uh, and stopped his musical career um, uh, completely. But my first memories are, are of him um, playing the viola, me waking up in the morning and hear him, hearing him practicing, playing the viola
0: so when the when the war came, do you remember? I mean, when was that? because I've talked to some. People. no
1: that i I was born after the end of the war, so I, I don't so it's not, the only it's not in your that I am, not in my memory, no, but um uh, you know i I asked my mom a lot about it and what, I couldn't imagine what it must have been like to have um oh,
0: yeah, just rubble I mean
1: every night, and my my dad worked as an ambulance driver in the war, which oh. was a very difficult emotion it must have been physically um uh, very difficult uh, he couldn't join the services he wanted to join the services but he had some medical condition maybe a bone spur <laughs> but <laughs> i think it <he> was <laughs> yeah. i think it was a bit more serious than that um and he wasn't allowed to join the military so um instead he drove an ambulance throughout the war, in London, through the Blitz. Oh, my and God. And so that means pulling children out of rubble. Right. You know, terrible, terrible sights you must have seen.
0: I know. I can't. Uh, it's 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 really uh, astounding to me when you talk about, when any of us talk about or know people that have done these sort of almost unbelievable horrific jobs or tasks and they just they just do it and you and just by knowing what we go through in the modern world or what we see on tv or the limited amount of exposure we have to that kind of trauma and horror i mean just a little bit of it'll blow your mind to to, absolutely yeah to live in it i mean i can't imagine what they what they carry with them
1: i think it's really hard and it's hard for my generation to comprehend what my parents' generation went through. yeah, You know, a, a depression before yeah. the Second World War, the rise of fascism, the coming of the Second World War, the endurance of the Second World War, the realization of what Stalin was doing in Russia and the realization of the Holocaust. Right. To, to have to psychologically deal with all of those things and kind of carry on life and have children you know, i was i was born at the end of the second world after the end of the second world war but i was conceived during the second world war when all of this was going down
0: well i can understand i can understand that i mean like you know what <laughs> what else are you gonna well, do yeah in,
1: yeah in terms of yes i guess in terms of human contact right but the thought of bringing children I know. into this world do you know what i mean i don't courage. know how people
0: i don't know how people do it now I mean, I don't know because <laughs> all those things that you're talking about, you know, sadly, we're, we're on the precipice of a generation seeing similar things, you know, in yes, the world. We
1: are. It's true. Absolutely. And
0: yes. like I have friends who are younger than me. I, I, I was never wired for children. I like them, but I'm much too you know, panicky and selfish <clears throat> to deal with it. So I don't me have to
1: count me in. I, I mean, I thank God I have stepchildren, and yeah. I'm incredibly grateful for the mothers of those stepchildren right. who've um, who've gone through all of that and just given me the pleasure of having stepchildren. I'm with you, Mark. I don't know how people do it.
0: I mean, and it's like, it's it's seemingly natural. And it's really not that I have anything against kids. It's just like, if you give me two minutes, I can get anxiety and panic about the children I don't have, like about (laughs) the children I might've had, you know, just thinking about it overwhelms me with, I, I can't do it. I can't. Do
1: you have nieces and nephews?
0: I do. I got a few. Yeah. Oh, that's
1: nice, isn't it? That's a nice relationship. Sure. You know, you, you can be the naughty uncle. Right. I right. bet you are the naughty uncle.
0: I am. Yeah. I I you know, the the one they come to when they uh they, they, they're in trouble of some kind a little bit. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. The one they can talk to. One of the first things I did for my nephew, I gave him a leather jacket at the oh, age good.
0: of six. Oh know? good.
1: A really cool biker jacket yeah i gave it to him it was new my sister was absolutely horrified and i said now this is what you do with a leather jacket and i took it i threw it on the ground and i jumped on it <laughs>
0: got it all messy <laughs> my
1: sister was going don't do that with a new jacket
0: <laughs> but that's
1: the sort of thing you can do when you're the North yeah North i I,
0: uncle. I yeah i don't see him enough but uh you know i'm okay i there's never a day that goes by where i regret not having children no, i
1: me, <laughs> me neither. I have to say, I, I'm with you. I,
0: so, your I'm, father, though, like you know, you're saying about you know, you know, really thinking about that generation. I mean, did you sense what were his politics like? What did he carry with him after that or through that?
1: Well, my dad, you know, he came from sort of aristocratic, you know, minor aristocratic, not aristocratic, but posh upper class, yeah, Russian background. His, oh yeah, his mother, his mother was a countess. Oh
0: wow,
1: he was born on the Russian estates so that were then taken by the Bolsheviks. You know, he was a young man in London before uh, watching the rise of fascism. And as so many um, young people were, it's the original Antifa group. Um, who were fighting against the rise of fascism in in London, and uh, there was a famous march in East London by uh, Mosley, Oswald Mosley, who was the sort of English fascist who wanted England to combine with uh, Germany, Hitler, and become a fascist nation, basically. Mm. Um, and they had their uh, black shirts, I think they were, walking through the Jewish quarter of the east end and my father went on the on the so-called riot or the peaceful demonstration against the this particular this fascist march so his politics were left-wing as a young man i I think any young intelligent person in the 1930s was left-wing it was the rise of unions yeah the rise of the concept of of sort of um a, a world where um people without money could get an education. Mm. Um, for example. So um, So that's you what know, you the, grew up. The in. rise of the wealth. So I grew up in that sort of world, absolutely.
0: So he was a musician and, and a, a leftist and an intellectual and somebody who was engaged politically.
1: But also I also you know, my mum was a working class girl, uh-huh. intelligent, left school at fourteen, you know, the thirteenth of fourteen children.
0: Oh my um, God
1: absolutely talking about the children That's, Can you imagine
0: that must have been what I think did think at it.
1: that point you just don't really think about it anymore probably yeah. i don't know
0: it's like that scene um, in the uh, monty python's the meaning of life where terry jones is washing the dishes and a baby just plops out from under this <laughs> yes exactly
1: <laughs> yes exactly that must be my grandmother on my mom's side right um No, she was working class. Exactly. And, and economically, financially, we were very working class in the sense, but, and my dad finished up being a taxi driver. In fact, he did the knowledge. Hmm. Uh, And I, I, do you know what the knowledge is? No. Doing the knowledge is what London cabbies have to do to become, to get a, to become a licensed black cab driver in London. It sounds very,
0: uh, it sounds like an important thing.
1: It, isn't it? well what they do is they they learn every basically every street in london they have to learn literally the name of and where every street is it, in london do they GPS. still yes they still do they still do the knowledge um uh, i mean gps now maybe eventually the knowledge will disappear but it still is in existence and then when they do the test they say, okay, it's 4 o'clock, 4.30 in the afternoon. Right. You have to get from this street in North London to this street in South London. Describe me your route. And, and so the knowledge is that you have to say, okay, I, I turn left on St. James Street, yeah. and then I turn right on 3rd Street. And, and you have
0: to take in, in consideration the traffic.
1: The traffic, Exactly. Oh, so So that's the knowledge. And when you pass that, then you get a a, that's why London cabbies are amazing. Yeah. You know, I really advise anyone it. You know, they're more money now, but they are. London cabbies are incredible.
0: I don't think I've been educated that well in anything that I do. (laughs) but
1: yeah you go on instinct that's pretty good as well you know that works
0: well I guess like like what I was getting at is that you there was at least an environment where it seems like they were encouraging of the arts I'm assuming
1: they were I mean we couldn't financially I didn't go to we didn't have uh television we didn't have we didn't go to the cinema, actually. No? We didn't go to the theater. Well, no, uh, financially, literally, we couldn't afford Well, how did you because, decide
0: to be uh, to pursue acting?
1: I, well, I'll tell you what happened. I saw a an amateur production of Hamlet. This The one time my mum. apart from this, I'd only ever seen shows at the end of the pier, which I loved.
0: Well, what kind you of know? shows were those?
1: Oh, you know, show you, you have girls come on dancing. Oh, yeah. I, absolutely wanted to be one of those girls um and then the comedian came on and he made me literally la- fall off my seat with laughing um it was a variety show end of the pier variety show and and that was my first experience of the theater and i i remember it to this day I, who was the I, I comedian absolutely loved it he was a guy called terry scott he was an english comedian you look him up when okay. we finish okay um uh he terry scott okay S S C O T T. got it and and he was the guy who was at the end of the pier when i saw my first theater why isn't that
0: the name of a play the end of the pier somebody should write that show
1: yes yes they should and
0: i love what i what i love what it means because i'm i would never like that and that was something people knew that there was there was a show at the end of the pier that's where you see yeah I well, South
1: End, it. My hometown was famous. Well, it wasn't famous at all for this, but it it, it <laughs> does you. have the long it, it, it has the longest pier in the world. It does have the oh, longest wow. pier in the world. It's a it's a mile and a quarter long and you have to take a little train out.
0: Oh, that's, Is it still there?
1: I think, it, yes, it is still there.
0: So you see this comedian, you see the dancers and uh, do they do sketches, too? And they-
1: I'm sure they did sketches. They did a bit of boring, warbling singing. I, that never you know, appealed right, right. to me. But, but um,
0: you knew you wanted to be on stage.
1: Yeah. And then I saw a, a, an amateur production of Hamlet yeah. by the South End Shakespeare Society. Mm. And that was really what... Uh, it, that just completely blew me away. Not because... It was a terrible production, I'm sure. you know. I do remember their tights all being sort of wrinkly around their ankles. Yeah. But... Um, But the story, I was just so uh, blown away by the story. And I mean, can you imagine what, that's why I don't think Shakespeare should be taught in schools. Can you imagine watching Shakespeare for the first time when you're about 13 or 14 and you don't know what happens? You don't know that Ophelia goes mad and dies. You don't know that Hamlet's going to come back. You don't know that they're all going to die. You have no idea of the story. So you watch it like a thriller because it is an incredible thriller.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and to have that thriller of, of watching going, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? With that poetry, with that in those incredible... Cons- Um, Conceptions into you know, thoughts in your mind at the same time. I mean, and that was sort of my experience. Wow, Um, because like
0: I've been like I've been sort of this like ignoramus on my show over the years in terms of how I've been sort of unable to engage with Shakespeare in the way that that a lot of people do. And I've told Shakespearean actors this, and like Ian McKellen sat, yeah, I know,
1: and very well, yeah,
0: yeah, he sat across Mm -hmm. from me and did Shakespeare to my face.
1: Of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. He would. <laughs> it
0: was that monologue about immigrants, I think from, is it from uh, the Thomas More? It wasn't, it wasn't. Uh... Yes.
1: I've heard him do that. Yes, yeah, Right. Actually. Yeah. Yes. Um, Cause it must've been around the time he was doing his one man show. Probably was it. But that's wonderful. But, but he just uh, yes, like, it, is... and,
0: and, and it connected with me because my yeah. problem is maybe it's as an American or maybe just as a person, you know, cause I, I enjoy being engaged, but I do get a little lost with the language and it becomes difficult for me to, to, to sort of follow the story.
1: It, yeah, no, totally. The, the language can be very, very, it is very difficult, but with a great production and great actors that clarifies an awful lot of it. You know. So that's what
0: happened to you at th- you were 13 and you were just, you know, your mind was blown.
1: My mind was blown by, by the story as much as anything. It's, it's a fabulous world. It was so different from my boring little, you know, little dormitory town. I felt that I was living in, you know, suburban street and all the rest of it. And, to, to see. So that engaged my imagination. And I became quite obsessed at that point with not not so much with the not certainly not with the intellectual stuff of Shakespeare, but the, just the stories and the characters.
0: And you'd already so wanted think, to do you wanted to be on stage. You knew that. And.
1: I didn't know that. No, I but I knew I wanted to imaginatively live in these other worlds.
0: Oh, so this was before the end of the pier thing?
1: Uh, no, after the end of the pier thing. So you got the both sides. Thing, You've got you yes, got the, exactly. the burlesque yeah. and then
0: you got Hamlet.
1: Yeah. yeah. exactly. And that's kind of me in a nutshell. <laughs> Actually.
0: <laughs> there we there you of, go. Uh, there you go. Figured yeah. out the source the of yeah. your of your being
1: yeah
0: yeah so what how does the how does then how do you slowly you know engage with the the process of becoming a theater of
1: becoming an actor um well i did i went to a teacher's training college because i couldn't afford to go to drama school uh-huh. um, but there was what a great that? or a teacher's training college where you oh you're going your to learn to be a teacher okay yeah 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 but i was a hopeless teacher i mean i was so <laughs> hopeless useless <laughs> Do you want to be a I mother, Do
0: you want to be a teacher, it's good. No, you, you know your limitations. didn't want to be a teacher. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> um But there was this great organization called the National Youth Theatre in Britain that allowed kids who didn't come from a financially, you know, supportive background, um could go and and in your summer holidays you went and did theatre. Yeah. Um, and that was, that sort of launched me. I did um, Cleopatra in Antony and Cleopatra with that organization. And, um, and it, it, you know, the, the press would come. That was a great thing that, you know, the, the critics from the newspapers. Would right. come. So, so they, they gave me a good, a good press. And from that moment on, I, as soon as I left college, I went, I became, a, um, I, I went to the Royal Shakespeare Company. So the,
0: that's where you actually trained because you just had a knack you had a knack for it is that uh, what you would say well
1: you know it's like any it's like a lot of jobs isn't it really you can't really train what you can do is practice Hmm. um training is and I, you can practice and and be guided in your practice and I, i'm sure that's the same with music and with art painting right so the um, essential
0: so the ideas of of practice then are how do i connect you know this text to who i am or to what's necessary yeah to make exactly it convincing I,
1: it exactly and and i was lucky that i was being in a sense being paid not very much but being paid to practice and to learn with the Royal Shakespeare company. But I was kind of in at the deep end, you know, I started off, boom, you know, at quite a high level. Why in, is that? In, because
0: they you just had, you because you were, you had a natural gift, I guess. Uh,
1: I guess. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and also, and a drive. And the gift is one thing. The drive is the most important, isn't it? Don't you think Mark in life, you know, you see incredibly gifted people wasting their gifts because they don't have the drive, and then you ha- see less gifted people with incredible drive, and right. they do better.
0: A lot of times, the uh, the gifted people who don't have the drive, it's just that they have it. It's just going into them. They're driving yes. themselves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. Into yes. into
0: the wall of their their heart.
1: Yes. No, no, absolutely. And and it, it's tragic when you see that happen. It is. It's, it's it, devastating. It is. It is. Um, on the other hand, you see another kid, you know, who just it. That You know, their imagination has been engaged by something and they are just absolutely driven to do this. And and I you know, that's 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 what art is. It's it's the drive. But
0: right. But it's not like it's interesting because now, you know, ambition and drive can be applied to different things. But the drive you're talking about is is not it's not a career drive. It's it's a it's a passion. Oh, no, no. It's not a career drive at all. Right. It's a passion to. To, to be fully yes. immersed in the thing.
1: It's the creative passion, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So who Who are the people you were working with? Would I know any who of them? Who are my
1: contemporaries? Um, <laughs> quite a lot of them have died.
0: <laughs> oh, have they? Um, uh,
1: uh, but, um, well, Mike Lee, the film director. I've been watching his movies.
0: Mark, oh, my God. Yes,
1: Mike Lee was an assistant director... Um, Mark Rylance was in the, I, I'm sure you know who Mark is. Um, he was one of the young actors that I, uh, in, in my group. Um,
0: that's interesting. I didn't know that about Mike Lee. So he was a, what was his role in the shape? He was sh- an
1: assistant. He was an assistant director. He was in the directorial world, but he was an assistant director. And in fact, he what we saw him aside from the RSC, but in his own, you know, in his own time, start with experimenting on this sort of improvisational at that time, improvisational theater or theater that was written out of improvisation. Huh. So, so he and was he, doing that. He was doing that way back then. Did yes, you, absolutely. Have you done any work with him? No, I've never worked with Mike. I know him because oh. you know being that seems
0: crazy to me.
1: Contemporaries, but I've never worked with him. No.
0: How are you at the? Uh, how are you at the improvising? Are you any good? Can you, can you do it? Uh,
1: um. Uh, sometimes I'm really good at it, and sometimes I'm unbelievably naff you know what that means
0: i i i I feel like because of how you used it i'd know what it means
1: yeah that means that yeah but not very good um so so maybe that's the nature of improvisation but americans are brilliant at improvisation
0: yeah some of them americans
1: are much freer i think the brits are getting freer because i think they've learned from the americans
0: and finally the
1: whole finally exactly took them a long time but um
0: but you've addressed uh-huh. that. It's sort of interesting that you've, you know, I'm jumping around a bit, but that, you know, the sort of the, I, I rewatched uh, The Queen as well, which you won the Academy Award for. I, I watched it the other night. And uh, what it, that's a, a really amazing performance on your part. And but it's a great story and it's a it's a really great script uh, to sort of figure out, you know, how to capture that that woman as a human. You know, and in what situations, you know, it's just really a, kind of a brilliantly constructed movie.
1: Yes, Peter Morgan, a great writer. Really yeah, it
0: was really something. Writer, yeah. But it sort of deals with that idea of, you know, you know how British people see themselves and, you know, how uh, they think they're supposed to behave traditionally or, or nationally. Yes,
1: and... yes, absolutely. I, I mean, that is, I mean, that's of a of a certain um, generation, yeah, obviously. Yeah, right. And I, I I don't know how how true that I mean I'm a I'm an Elizabethan in the sense that when I came into this world Elizabeth was on the throne mm-hmm. uh, no she wasn't on the throne but she was about I was I think six or seven when she was crowned mm-hmm. um, and she may well outlive me I don't know <laughs> but she will have been the queen for the whole of my life you know yeah. she has been the monarch of Britain and. And I think, you know, that that, uh, as we were talking earlier about my parents' generation, that generation of people of which the Queen is very much a part of that generation. Yeah, it's amazing that she's still there so we can see that generation still alive and still committed to their um, sense of values and uh, that, you know. To be criticized sometimes, but yeah. but also to be admired in many ways. Yeah, it was a it was um, a,
0: a there was some great stuff in that movie between you and uh, what's his name Michael or the who played Blair. Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen. Uh, Michael Sheen. Yes, yeah, fantastic. I actor. mean, really yeah. something else, and and you know, it's fresh in my head. Obviously, I know you did it a long time ago.
1: Thank you for watching. That's very sweet of you and, uh, doing your homework.
0: Well, you know, it's like you know, there's not you have such uh, uh, there's so much you've done and there you know and for some reason i chose to watch a bit of Catherine. i chose to watch long good friday and i chose to watch the queen i don't know why i chose that's that.
1: a good mix and then it's a good mix and i actually yeah.
0: i watched a couple of clips from uh, hero stratus
1: <laughs> that's unfair that's unfair <laughs> I was at college when I did that. (laughs) That's I was a student film that I stupidly signed up for when I was like seven, eighteen 18
0: years old. I I didn't know what it was. I was trying to figure out just how, um,
1: it's amazing. It's still around. It's very, it's very alarming.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't think you can't, they don't have the whole movie on, on YouTube. I don't think. And I think it's someone, someone has reprinted it and made it available. I was just curious in terms of, you know, in that time, uh, in the late 60s early 70s when there was so much uh kind of um creative and and adventurous things going on you know in theater and in film or whatever I was more curious about you know what no, you were involved right. in it was it
1: was a it was a period of incredible, you know the whole sixties thing was an incredible sort of explosion in so many ways politically um yeah you know artistically yeah.
0: So that's what I was looking at. I wasn't looking at it to 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 to, 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 to make fun of you or anything. I was yeah, curious. Yeah, embarrassment
1: tapes. No, yes.
0: no. So, <laughs> like, before I forget, did now do you know? And I'm sure you've answered this question before because I'm sure you did press junkets, and it was on every one of them. Do you know how the Queen did, did she did she say anything about your performance? No,
1: she never directly said anything. She wouldn't. <laughs> I did meet her afterwards. You she did? Very kindly. Oh, I did. I had met her very briefly before. uh uh-huh. um, But she very kindly, and this this was basically a tick. Um, uh, she invited me for tea. Wow. To have tea. Not, not at, at, uh, at um, I was at a... Um, I was at Ascot. Uh, I was actually, I had been asked to give a prize at Ascot. So I probably as a stand-in for the Queen, really. But um, she was there because she goes to Royal Ascot. And she asked me to go and have tea.
0: What is um, Ascot?
1: Ascot is a race okay,
0: thing, you know, a okay. horse race okay, thing. Okay, right. Horse race meeting. Got it, got it,
1: yeah. It's the biggest, poshest horse race meeting in, in Britain, uh, Royal Ascot. And the Queen goes, because as you know, she's a huge... Horse aficionado, right? That's her passion. That's her drive. Is horses, um, not monarchy. Actually, although she does it so well.
0: So you, she asked you for tea.
1: She asked me for tea, yeah. and she introduced me to some shake that was there as well. Um, as this is Dame Helen, because I was made a dame before I played the Queen. Funnily enough, but um, this is Dame Helen. She played me, you know, in the film. <laughs> <laughs> and the Sheikh looked completely confused because he obviously hadn't seen or heard of the film. So, um, But
0: you know she watched it.
1: But she never said anything. And I never would have expected her to. Why should she? You know, that's the great thing about that kind of monarchy is that they just let us get on with it. Uh huh. They get, you know, they get criticized. They get... Um, mocked right um and they just say nothing
0: when when you do that when you do that character or like i mean i and this is a question i wanted to go back and ask also about shakespeare you know i like i have to assume even though you seem to want to approach acting you know it's, it's a craft it's a skill it's something you practice but there there are things revealed to you through the process. I mean, you must take something away from, you know, figuring out how to play the queen with a a, a, a full sort of strata of human emotions. You know, doesn't it have an effect on your life?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, what we do as artists if in any of the arts, you know, is that you we are constantly re-examining what it is to be human, aren't we? I mean, just constantly musicians do that. Painters do that. Writers do that. And certainly actors do that. It's a, it's a constant re-examination of what it is to be human in, in all these different contexts. So, you know, playing the queen, it's very interesting because she lives in, in a bubble that none of us can comprehend. Yeah. Except for, I guess some other monarchs somewhere else in some other country. Mm. But this, you know, Jeff Bezos doesn't live in that kind of bubble.
0: Yeah, no. You know,
1: it, it's it's a very specific and the weight of history,
0: right? The, there's a, because there's a the, the bubble, the context of traditions that the have context
1: to context of uh, absolutely, and and that you are one of a long, long line, and and the formality uh, and all of the shit and the and the spoiltness of it and the fact that no one can you imagine this no one has ever not, not laughed at one of your jokes ever <laughs> in your life since you were 15. Right. If you cracked anything that was even mildly amusing, you know, uh, people laugh. I mean, I, I've so did you noticed... use that?
0: Did you use that? Like, is that an <laughs> o- an observation that sort of gave you some sort of entry into her... No, you
1: know what I did? I I only looked at film of her before she was queen, when I was doing my research. I just looked at her...
0: When she was a little up girl? Up
1: the age of... When she was a little girl, especially, mm. just to see who is this character? Who is this person inside this huge, weighty thing that's uh, yeah. is in her and entrapping her? Uh-huh. Who is that person inside of there? So I looked at film of her as a little girl a lot as much as I could find there wasn't a lot out there um, and then anything up to and and stuff of her during the war when she was very happy during the war because she could work on cars you know yeah. and, and be in the, um, the women's forces I think she was very happy there uh-huh. um, just this practical slightly unimaginative probably but very very dutiful mm. very dutiful disciplined but kind you see her with princess margaret she's always sort of encouraging her and helping her yeah and helping. yeah so there's a great kindness there i thought so i i just sort of you know came towards what i thought was this real person inside of this extraordinary bubble she's in
0: that's it's it's great it's sort of i i don't know i because like i would assume but i don't i didn't grow up with You know, with her my whole life as a queen, that, you know, she would want to say something, but you just, you you would never expect her to say anything about your portrayal of. No,
1: I wouldn't have ever expected that, no, or asked for it, or no.
0: (laughs) So, do you, so you, you, do you, I would assume that the way you were brought up with the, with your father, that there was some criticism of the monarchy in the household oh
1: yes oh no absolutely my parents were strong anti-monarchists
0: but you have um, a reverence that survived that for the monarchy
1: no no i don't have a reverence for the monarchy mm. i i, I Stephen, uh, frears said we're queenists mm-hmm. we're not monarchists we're right. queenists
0: oh you like the queen
1: um i yeah I, I look at that woman and i appreciate and very much respect how she has conducted herself through through all of this history, mm. through all of these changes, um, uh, uh, cultural changes uh, in, in the world that she has survived through. Imagine the massive cultural change yeah. she's experienced. Oh, yeah. You know, the loss of empire. Yeah. You know, before the Second World War, you know, she grew up in a world where you know Britain was a a big empire and you know there was a power in the world and and she has witnessed the demise of that completely um but the way she's conducted herself she never got fat she never got thin she never you know became addicted to anything she just steadily went on you know through and then through Diana and and all the stuff that family-wise, she said, Andrew, oh my God, Andrew. Um, now, yeah, now, yeah. oh, ugh. um, so you know, but she will like this amazing sort of ship, just <laughs> carrying on, just yeah. all through all the storms. And what yeah.
0: do you what do you think, like in terms of like, because you did a, a lot of Shakespeare before you did films, right? I mean, when you know, when you were young, yes, yes. Now that now. Like, as an artist, you know, how does that? Because Shakespeare pretty much covers the full spectrum of, of human goodness and horror. Like, you know, you, yeah, the, the it's. Well, a, my
1: God, yes, yes, it does. From, you think from Tamberlin or, you know, Lear, Gloucester's eyes being put out. Right. He wasn't, he was unafraid of horror. Yeah.
0: And, and so, like, I have to, uh, like, I- in terms of your education as a grown up and as somebody who investigates, the, the human uh, emotional capacity, it's, it's all in Shakespeare, right? It's yes. all there. So, you, it is. so you've mm-hmm. had to, like, the, part of that training, whether it's about acting or movement or being here or there on the stage, emotionally, you're going to get filled up with almost every type of interaction possible between humans doing Shakespeare.
1: Yes. The only issue there is the language right as you said so you are fighting uh you're not fighting the language because the, the language is so poetic and beautiful and supports yeah. emotion but it's trying to get the
0: audience to understand what you're talking about you know sometimes but when it yeah. was written that wasn't the an issue no
1: that uh, no i would imagine not yeah um,
0: that's interesting to
1: us i would imagine not uh, and it uh, well certainly a lot easier although he was still writing poetically and there are still conceits poetic conceits that you have to sort of follow through and understand the ultimate sort of uh, bringing together of that conceit
0: So you spend this time doing Shakespeare and doing some other classics and, and some modern theatre and then you know the desire is to do film which it seems is is a much in most cases unsatisfying and and lesser you know, venture like, you know, did you feel that after doing the work you did on stage, the first few films, you, the first few films you had was sort of like a letdown. Like, I mean, is it really the type of acting?
1: It, um, no, it's not the acting. I think that the if, if there was anything there, it was just the thinness and the paucity of the um of the thought right. in in a scene, you know, when you're used to these sort of uh, incredibly profound thoughts that you sometimes you have to engage in in Shakespeare. I mean, the simplest version of that is to be or not to be. That is the question. And, you know, when you're having to think that, I, unfortunately, I've never played Hamlet. I would love to have played Hamlet. Um. Just that concept right. is, is so profound, <laughs> you know. And then you're in a movie, and you say, you know, where's the where's the milk? Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. Or, or you know, right. uh, Remember to shut the door, or you know, uh, or I kill people, dear. Right. Um, <laughs> but so it, it, it's. But ha- the acting in film is very intense and very powerful because it's it's like this unbelievable concentration it concentrates down and you know you've got this huge set and all these hundreds of people and everyone's arrived at light guys arrived at four in the morning and the honey wagon people drove the honey wagon in and the Catering got set up and the makeup yeah. truck is there and then you're in makeup at six in the morning and 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 now all of that stuff and now is action. And now it's your job to do everything. The thing that all of this is about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All of those people's work, everything, the time, the effort is all down to action.
0: Yeah. That's your, that's your job. And that's my job. And you don't know or, how that's going to be cut.
1: And I don't know how it's going to be cut. I don't know how it's going to come out either, I know. Because you, could, you don't <laughs> practice. You can't rehearse it. So it's inc- I find film acting incredibly intense and and wonderful uh, and demanding and inspiring. And, and I watch Americans do it. And the first time I worked with Americans, I was blown away by them because their ability to be natural within this un- unspeakably unnatural, it's more natural to be on a stage honestly with another person opposite you in costume and you know, than it is on any film set. It's, it's impo- almost impossible to be natural. And so the people who are natural and within their, their naturalness are inventive
0: who was the first person uh, yeah. that you noticed that with, that you worked with when you were like, oh, my God?
1: Well, I, I have to say Pacino oh, was yeah. the greatest master of that. The, the master of the technique completely.
0: Did genius. you work with him?
1: I did. I, I did a um, TV thing um, about Phil Spector.
0: Oh, yeah. That's way um, to I,
1: I I played his lawyer, and, and he played Phil. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 but to, 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 to work with Al is 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 an uh, an amazing experience but one of the one of the actors that i worked with on the first american film i did which was um 2010 um uh was bob balaban i don't know if you've ever was oh, great or you oh know yeah bob balaban a great great actor and a great guy i've talked to him yeah. and he gave me this brilliant piece of act film acting note and i've passed this on Um, to other young actors and uh, at the time a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance was very fashionable and he said acting is like Zen. He said you aim your arrow where you think it's going to land, you know, in in the take, aim your arrow and let it go and let it go, let it land wherever it lands because you can't control where it lands. You can't control... What the audience is going to get from that moment—that is—you don't even know whether it'll be in the movie or not. So, aim your arrow, give it all you can, and then let it go. Yeah. Don't go home and think, "Oh my God, I should have done it like this. I should have done it like that. Why didn't I do that?" Which one tends to do in film? Um, so it was a great piece of. Um,
0: that is advice. great. That's something. Yeah. I mean, you worked with him on which Gus, which where'd you work with Bob? Uh,
1: he actually, uh, this was 2010. He was in 2010. Oh, the movie, and then, and then right. yeah, the movie, 2010. And then, yes, he was a producer on Gosford Park. as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, he's a, yeah, he's a, he's great. He's a great, Lovely, guy.
1: smart, wonderful but, guy. It is interesting
0: yeah. though, that you're saying that it's more natural to be on stage because of the, because of the context. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm going to talk to that guy. We know exactly, Exactly what we're going to say and this is how it uh, goes.
1: And this is how it goes. And you've got chairs to sit on, and you know, <laughs> yeah. and you're in your well, Sure, there's an audience out there and you are sort of incorporating them. But with you know on film, you don't people often say, what's it like to work with Bruce Willis? Well I know what it's like to be with Bruce Willis and it's a lovely thing, yeah. incidentally, to be with Bruce Willis. He's so kind and lovely. But to act with him, you're not acting, you're acting with a camera. You know, you're looking at a thing on the side of the camera. You're not looking at a person in general, right? Right, and also, yeah, that's it. That that's whole.
0: there's a there's a you have to, you're servicing an illusion uh, in yes. film and television, whereas in theater, you're not. Theater, no. you know, everyone understands the 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 terms. You know, like you know, this is the play. This is the theater. Yes. They're going to do the thing, and if they do it well, yes. we're going to be elevated and taken out. With yes, film. and you
1: live and you live in the world. You're living right, in the world. I mean, right. step onto that set.
0: Yeah, you're
1: in the world. Yeah, absolutely. But on on a film set, it, it's hard to. I can understand the actors uh, who just want to stay. They have to stay in that world. Right. Even though they're in their trailer or their, you know, uh, craft services, they're in that world. Don't talk to me. You know, I can only answer as Lincoln. Um, I can understand that because, you know, film is the film world.
0: It's easy. It's easy. It's easy to.
1: So distract.
0: Right. So have you worked with those kind of guys? Was Pacino like that?
1: No, he wasn't like that. No, no,
0: no. And he's also one of those guys. Like he's one of those method guys, those second generation method guys that can really, when mm. he wants to, he can really still do it. You know, like oh yeah, there's a couple of them. Like, but you know, De Niro's still great too. But like, you know, Pacino can really get lost in something. His oh, P-
1: totally. Yeah I thought he was brilliant in yeah I thought he's brilliant in the the, the recent uh, Scorsese film Oh yeah yeah Jimmy Union Hoffa leader Yeah being, Jim- I thought he was fantastic You know what he's, he's
0: you, you know what he's great in is that Kevorkian uh, movie on HBO Oh he, I
1: haven't seen that oh, he, I'd love to see that
0: He's great in that I mean th- yeah. that was to
1: he's me a, He's one of the uh, the great thing about Pacino was was when he was off camera and he would always do everything off camera for you but he wouldn't just oh, that's nice. say the lines. Oh, he wouldn't be reading the lines, he'd you know, him. or just just fall out acting. He'd he'd give a a more of a performance sometimes off screen than he would on screen because he'd be inspired by something. He he just um you know, he he can't stop himself. He, he just
0: loves to act. He can't he
1: loves it. He loves it. <laughs> he loves the imaginative process.
0: But it's very generous for somebody to do that. Yes. Y-
1: Incredibly. Incredibly. So yeah.
0: in the beginning, though, was, did you find that you were taken, like, how do you, how did you, where do you see the evolution from? Cause you know, at the beginning you had smaller parts, you, there were some sort of slightly, you know, sexualized mm. parts where you expected to fill yeah. uh, you know, a, a role that had nothing to do with necessarily the character or who you were. And so you kind of evolved out of that somehow, and and be, like I, I think it was probably Long Good Friday was probably the the first big, you know.
1: Well, no, I would say the first big in a way. I mean, i have done lots of t- lots of big TV roles oh, at yeah. that time. Uh, I was uh, said, and it was true. Um, British film is alive and well and living on television, uh-huh. and that was very much the case. Okay, sort of through this. Through the 70s. Uh-huh. But um, I, I did luck out majorly and get the, the role in Prime Suspect, which was oh, yeah. a big...
0: Well, that um, was later. That was TV. after. That was later. Yeah. That was
1: in the 80s, yes. But that allowed me to, to segue very nicely through... That that can be a difficult time for women, you know, the late thirties, early forties era period when you're not the you know cute young Barney anymore, right? And you never will be again. And um, but you all the time you've been looking for something more than that anyway. And, yeah. and Prime Suspect was a was a wonderful way for me to go into a different generation, a
0: different kind of
1: work. Well, I mean, yeah.
0: you you were you did it for like a decade, didn't you? Like, well, how long was that on?
1: Well, I did. Uh, it wasn't that it was on. I was very lucky because it wasn't like a TV series. Yeah. Uh, it was something that we did every 18 months. I would do another Prime Suspect. So, I, in, in between, I would do theater, I would do our movies, mm. I would do lots of other things. It was never like a series, like an ongoing rolling series. It was never that. It was just. Every eighteen months, I would do a, another prime suspect. And, and you yeah.
0: g- and you were you know you, you dug into that character. People knew the character. People yeah. were fans. And followed along with
1: her. She yeah. sort of she, she had her development you know uh-huh. over the
0: uh-huh. years. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And now when you so, do, um, like yeah, I mean you do a lot of different kinds of stuff. And, you know, you, you kind of show up in things and you, you are, everyone knows you, so you can just do something like documentary now and people are. <laughs> yeah, you
1: know, I love
0: that. Yeah.
1: Is it brilliant?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Is it
1: brilliant? Yeah. Don't you love it, Mark?
0: I do. I do.
1: I, I love it. It's very, very fun. Those guys are yeah. hilarious. Yeah. But, like,
0: do you see any difference in doing, like, The Queen and uh, Fast and Furious movie?
1: yeah of course it's different it's completely different (laughs) but (laughs) But, um but do you you... i begged to be in fast and furious you did begged i was oh yes yes i i begged
0: why (laughs) why did you beg to be in that movie
1: i don't know because it because it was so different from the queen i think uh, (laughs) you know but i did get to you know i i love driving cars of course then they never had me driving a car oh they let you drive (laughs) Um, one on
0: set though didn't they eventually
1: yes oh, good. yes right. eventually so that that's was right, a that finally. was a
0: fun thing you did
1: it was a fun thing yes although, although you know in, in all these fun things there's always an element that's not so fun yeah <laughs> um you know because in the end filmmaking is quite a serious business it's um, sure financially serious and it's a you know it's a it's a it's a weighty thing a movie there's expectations but, um, you know? Yeah, but I, Vin became a has become a great friend.
0: Oh yeah, you and Vin, oh, yeah. you hang out.
1: Me and Vin, I love Vin. Yes. Yeah, we don't really hang yeah. out. We hang out on messages and things like that.
0: Uh huh. He seems like a good guy.
1: He's a good guy,
0: and he looks great on camera. That's the weird thing. There's some gift that certain actors have, where you just like
1: absolutely. They have a power on camera. It's wild. There's the internal power Unex- that is undeniable, and it's
0: unexplainable mm. too. You can't manufacture Une-
1: unexplainable, it. and it's sort of not about acting. It's no. about something quite different. You just fit. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So playing Catherine, this uh, this this four. What is it? Do you did it? Was it six or four episodes?
1: Four. For two-hour episodes. So, is there anything yeah.
0: exciting about uh, the Russian element, given that it's your history?
1: Well, you know, she actually wasn't Russian, right. was Catherine? She was Prussian, right? Sort of, sort of German. Russian, but she
0: ran the um, store. For but, a while. Uh,
1: but she she ran the store <laughs> for a long while. Uh, she, an amazing, amazing character that um, I had always been sort of fascinated by. Uh, uh, um, just anyone who's prepared i guess when people and especially women i mean especially women and especially women of that era mm-hmm. who have the who just know that they have the capability to do this thing yeah you know so much of of being a woman is actually about insecurity questioning yourself not feeling you're capable because for thousands of oh, yeah, not that yeah maybe a thousand odd years we've been told that we are incapable and we can't do it and uh, you know of course i, I you know mark for in the world of comedy sure when i grew up uh, um women were not funny oh no women can't be funny it's you know we love women they're lovely they can do so many other things they're wonderful and in the end they're stronger than men and they last longer than that but they can't be funny they're just not funny it's just the one the way the the world is you know and that was a completely accepted reality well yeah they were they,
0: but even the way you said it they like the that the the sort of framing of women in 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 a broad sense is like well they're so great they're so much stronger than we are but we they can't do anything other but they than can't do anything what we what, yes. what we've let yes. them do. Yeah.
1: Uh, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Um, and and you have witnessed the change oh, in attitude sure. there. Yeah. For sure. And oh my God, women can be funny. In fact, they're really funny. They're brilliant.
0: Oh yeah. Um, Some of the best comedians right now are women, for yeah, sure. Oh,
1: fantastic.
0: Maria Bamford is a genius. Oh,
1: I don't know Maria Bamford. Oh, no, she, I must look, look her up. Yes,
0: she's oh a, great. I'm always great. Uh, singing her, her praises. But yeah, I right. And yeah, and it's getting. I think it is getting uh, uh, a, a little better. You know, for women in comedy, and there is something to. Um, it definitely, it's definitely a um, fight to be fought, and they are fighting, and it's a it's yeah, a righteous. Yeah, Um has been
1: a big breakthrough, a big breakthrough there. But but anyway, for so for th- you know thousands of years, we were told that we you know we were great, we were lovely and fabulous, but there are certain things we just can't do. So Catherine in the eighteenth century looks at our complicated, violent, difficult country like Russia and says, I can do this <laughs> at the age of 25 or so. It's crazy goes, yeah, to think this. that, right? It's crazy to think that. And before that, she'd learned Russian. She had, um, uh, you know, learned how, learned the politics of court. I mean, she was just so brilliant. Yeah. But at the same time, she was very accessible. She was sexual. She was. She loved falling in love. You know, she wasn't this sort of, you know,
0: <laughs> right. you know
1: one-dimensional person she had all these layers of femininity about her as well so i'd always been sort of fascinated about this part. and
0: also she was like a rebel to a degree in terms of you know shifting the uh feudal culture mm. into something more
1: well trying to yeah. in the early days of her of her Reign, if you could call it that. Um, Yes, she tried to liberate. She was inspired by Voltaire and the ideas that were coming out of France that, of course, led to the French Revolution. But the reality of the power structure, the financial structure in Russia, depending upon the serfs, the feudal system, was just too... She couldn't dislodge it. She was not... And in the end, actually, she became quite as radicals often do you know they become quite conservative and um quite she was fairly tyrannical towards the end Uh, as i guess she got older and she was fighting to sort of hold on to power hold on to power why do you
0: think that is why do you think that these these because there's a lot of them in the arts too these former kind of uh liberal kind of progressive somewhat you know, radical creative uh, forces, you know, eventually become older and, and much more conservative. I wonder. Yeah. I mean, I one know. of the
1: reasons I was so joyful and not joyful to see people out there without masks on but to see the the protests, protests yeah. recently, it's like, ah, yes, thank God, the yeah. young are back. Yeah. You know, the young are doing what the young have to do. That's their job in life.
0: Their job. Fighting for change. As
1: a young person is to fight for change and to be the ones with the courage and the balls and the tenacity and the energy sure. to get up there and be out there and with their, you know, their. Signs. Um, So I was, uh, you know, just so great to see that happen. The millennials didn't do that. You know, there was a weird generation where they just wanted to make money. And that always slightly disturbed me. But but then the natural progression as you I guess you get married, unlike you and I, you have children, you get a mortgage, you have a garden, you want to plant, you know, and other other things come in. But it is the role of the young. Sure. I I mean, I
0: understand getting practical, but and I understand maybe getting fiscally sort of like in your own personal life more conservative but i don't really understand these guys who were you know real artists at one time becoming sort of malignantly uh socially conservative it's it's it's, it's some sort of i don't know what it is no. I, it's a wiring that they got you, like, like you
1: probably don't want to say a name but give me a name
0: david Mamet, john voight
1: oh yes yes interesting true i don't think john voight was ever radical i think he was always conservative Oh, Uh, maybe I'm just thinking about his roles. Yeah. uh, Yes. I I think I think I I, don't know. I talked to Jane Fonda.
0: I talked to Jane Fonda. Yes. He I I think he took a big turn. A lot of these guys took a turn after 9-11. Something just broke in their brain and they decided that foreigners were terrible and that, you know, America was under assault. Yeah.
1: I, Mark, I completely agree. I can't comprehend that. Yeah,
0: I, um, I think it's what happens is it's that there's a sensitivity necessary uh, to to be a a, a a genuine artist, and and I think that you know if you get older and you maintain that sensitivity, and at some point you become consumed with fear that you can't get back to it anymore, and and you react yeah. in a different way.
1: Yeah, I don't it's, know. It, both. I mean, I've worked with both of them. You know, Mamet wrote the. Um, um, Phil Spector piece. Which one? And, uh, Phil Spector.
0: Oh, oh, oh He sorry. wrote
1: and directed it.
0: He's like um, he's like also like I think he likes being a button pusher. Like he's a yes, like, I, but I do. I think f- that's true. But I think he means. I it. think
1: he's a he's a provocateur. Yeah, right? yeah yes, for sure. yes, he is. And I don't think John Voight is. I think I worked with John on National Treasure. He played my husband. Oh, really? Um, and. Uh, you know, both, re- obviously, Mammoth is really, really smart, and, but John is also very, you know, intelligent. Yeah. Uh, you know, mm. it's, a, it's a bit like, um, what's his name, the other, you know, My Cold Dead Hand. Um, Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston, yeah. who I met. Very articulate. Yeah you know you don't want these people to be smart and articulate you want them to be kind of you know like yeah. trumpish yeah guys, yeah yeah you know. yeah um, but uh, but they're not they're very smart very articulate but but you know oh my god the uh, the arguments are so uh,
0: yeah they they're just not
1: dangerous if, and unpleasant and
0: closed uh, off not embracing not yeah, and, no tolerance uh,
1: no. Tol- no tolerance mm. no yes
0: yeah it's a it's a fear and, thing. And
1: frightening. Yeah, they're
0: frightening. Yeah, and they're frightened. These boomers who are coming at you know coming up on the end of their time, uh you know they they kind of uh, their egos freak out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, maybe. maybe I don't know. It's hard think, to explain. But I I I I don't I don't understand it. Either.
0: But they were nice to you.
1: They were very nice to me, both of them. But I would argue with them. Oh, good. I did argue with them. Oh, good. I didn't. I, I didn't take it. I know, I argued. Well, keep it up. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, it was great talking to you, uh, Helen. I. Really... You
1: too, Mark. Thank you. And it... Thank you. I was told it would be fun, and it was fun. It was great.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Helen Mirren, how great was that? I like it got like there were moments there where I'm like, I I think I love her there. You didn't hear it because maybe I got you locked into me screaming in my heart. But my heart was singing a bit, talking to Helen Mirren. And you can watch her in uh, Catherine the Great, now streaming or on demand on all HBO platforms. She's also in the one and only Ivan, which will be on Disney Plus next month. And now I will play some guitar I gotta learn some new chords I gotta learn how long have I been saying that how long my heart is screaming I'm screaming inside my heart